So I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 16, verse 25, if you could follow with me. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to continue to learn and be encouraged, learn from your servant Paul, help us to, to hear what your word has to say to our hearts, so that we can also practice servanthood in our own lives. Father, illuminate our hearts and our minds to understand the scriptures, for the truth to get through our hearts, not only our hearts, but out into our hands where we can serve you in this community. Help us, Father, to, to come now with a heart that wants to learn, a heart that wants to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, a heart that wants to love you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and love our neighbour as ourselves. Help me now, Father, to be clear and understood but help us to listen. Help us, Father. We thank you that the sacred scriptures are full of truth. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, who helps us to understand them and works in our hearts to apply them. So I pray that we will not just sit here and listen, but we will be challenged and encouraged to become doers of the word. Help us, Father. Please be merciful. Please be gracious to us. I pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As you heard in the beginning, I mentioned confidence in God. And we're looking at confidence in God through, through suffering. And the question is, when we go through suffering, when we are suffering, who's our confidence in? It's easy to talk confidently about God when things are going well. But do we talk confidently about God when things aren't going well? Well, like I said earlier on, suffering can come through sin, living in a fallen world, and through persecution, living a righteous life. But is our confidence in God? That's the question we need to answer and examine our hearts. Is our confidence in God? And by the word confidence, I mean we believe that someone or something is good enough to trust. And that someone or something or someone is, is God. 
And God is good enough to trust. Why? Because He's the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Creator God. And He's given us the Lord Jesus Christ to help us to put our confidence in Him and to walk humbly and faithfully and confidently with Him, no matter what comes our way. He is the Creator God who cares for us. And if we know what is to be true about God, then we will have confidence in God. If we're reading our scriptures and getting to know this God, remember Daniel didn't have a Bible. He probably didn't even have an Old Testament Bible. If you had him, then you might have had learned from the five law books, the Torah. But he didn't have much. But what he had, and we all have, and we cannot say we don't have, is if you are in Christ Jesus, you have a relationship with God. And your relationship with God is strengthened through your reading of the Scriptures and praying to this God and applying what you read to your daily life. That's how we grow our faith. That's how we exercise our faith. It's through putting what we learn and we put it into to practice. And we can have confidence in our Creator God. The psalmist in Psalm 121, he's encouraging us to put confidence in the Creator God. He's the one that says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. If your confidence is in God, He will help us. He will help us. And I've just got to think of a great man of God. He wasn't a perfect man of God, but he was a man of God that loved the Creator God, and that was David. I just think of him taking on Goliath. How much confidence as a shepherd boy. Troy, Josh, he wasn't even probably 14, 15 when he took on this Goliath. Maybe he wasn't even 13, I don't know. But he was a shepherd boy, not a shepherd teenager or a shepherd man. He was just a shepherd boy. And he goes and he first has to get through King Saul. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistines. And what does Saul say to David? You are not able to go against the Philistines to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, We'll go, and the Lord be with you. I wonder if there was much meaning in that from King Saul. David had confidence in his God. Then he comes across Goliath. And you can read all this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And the Philistine Goliath said to David, I am a dog that you come to me with sticks. 
He's been offended because he has this young youth, this young boy. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give you the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. What confidence did David have in his God? It's like asking the parents, how much scripture are we not saturating our children's minds with, not brainwashing them with, but how much of Scripture do we share with our children from day to day so their confidence can grow in this great God we serve? David had confidence both his God and God's Word. Why? Do you know why? Because he feared God. David feared God. And people who fear God have confidence in their God. Proverbs tells us the fear of the God, the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Another scripture says, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Like I said, our confidence can only be like David is if we are in the word and we are growing our relationship with our God. And we have no excuse. Everyone sitting here, if you are in a relationship with the true living God, that you can say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. We have no excuse to say, I can't have this confidence in God. Listen to Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, hear that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that confidence is in Christ Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross for you and I, for us. And the beautiful thing is, when you draw near to the throne of grace, when you seek this grace and mercy, you are actually taking shelter in God's presence. And His presence becomes a shelter for you. It gives us that confidence. Scriptures encourage us to have confidence in God. They don't discourage us. When you read the death of Christ, that shouldn't discourage us. That should encourage us to see that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. So let's look this morning. We're probably going to look at one essential, but there are two essentials. From Acts chapter 16, verses 25 
to 34 that I want to look at that showed in Paul's life that he had confidence in God and Silas. But I'll, I will speak about Paul, but remember Silas is there with him. So let's look at our first essential. The first essential that showed that Paul had confidence in God while suffering is joy. And the second essential, Lord willing, we are next Sunday, is contentment. But let's focus on joy. Paul and Silas, like I said, I'm going to focus on Paul. Paul and Silas had a joyful attitude, which we see in verses 25 to 26. We just got to go back to verse 24. We see what has happened to them. They were beaten with rods. They were put in prison. In, their feet are in stocks. They're in agony. Yet we see them in verse 25 praying and singing. We see them rejoicing in the Lord. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same Paul that we see here rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ is the same one, same Paul that wrote to us and commanded us, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice always from Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. We are commanded to rejoice always. Not when we feel like it. Not when we think it is time for us to rejoice. What joy did Paul and Silas shine forth in prison? Maybe you're asking, well, Mark, help me here. Where did this joy come from? But definitely does not come from the world's joy. We only rejoice when things are going well. But as soon, as soon as things go sour, we become sour, we become bitter, we become miserable, we have no joy. Isn't this how we walked around level 5 of lockdown? When we just saw things crumbling around us? Why weren't we rejoicing? Why isn't that joy in us that causes us to rejoice? I'll share something personal. Before God saved me, I could not face death. I didn't go to funerals. I didn't go to my own grand's funeral because I could not stomach death. That's the first thing that God took away from my heart, that fear of dying. And when my mom died at 57 of cancer, as a sister in Christ, I could go to her funeral and I could rejoice. There were mixed emotions, obviously. There's sadness, gladness, but I could rejoice in the fact where she went. She died well, and I could rejoice well in the fact where she went at 57. In three years' time, I'll be 57. Life is short. Are we rejoicing in the Lord through suffering? We should be. Joy is a gift from God. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit that God gives us. It's a manifestation. It's the second manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the deep down sense of well-being that abides in our hearts. 
knowing all is well between ourselves and our God, no matter what is going on around us. I'll read a quote from, from this lovely quote from John MacArthur. The key to having joy in every circumstance of life is to be filled with the Spirit. That means we've got to be in the Scriptures to be filled with the Spirit. Because being filled with the Spirit is the same as being filled with the Word. Ephesians talks being, being filled with the Word and Colossians talks about being filled with the Spirit. The same thing. Joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit and yielding to His control produces songs of joy. The problem with sad, miserable Christians is not their circumstance. And how often we blame our circumstances. How often we blame shift like Adam and Eve in the garden. But the lack of living a spirit-controlled life. That's why we lack joy. We lack joy because we're not in the Scriptures. I remember listening to Vody Bachum preaching at one of the Solar Five conferences, and he was preaching on dying well, rejoicing in death. We must embrace the truth that joy is part of God's own nature and spirit, that He manifests in us. It's a gift from us. Nehemiah said this, and he declared, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Can you say that about yourself this morning? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Is the joy of God's word our strength? And don't think I stand here and I've arrived and I have this all worked out. now. I struggle with these things myself. But I know where I need to go to. To find the joy that I need to get through. Especially the times that we're living in at the moment. We need God's joy to rejoice through. No matter what's going on in our country. In our government. No matter what. Paul and Silas are suffering folks. They are suffering physically. They are suffering mentally. They are suffering spiritually. But in spite of their suffering. They Find the opportunity to testify to the character of God in the presence of these other prisoners. They pray and they sing. And actually, I actually can't fathom this at times. I can't, it just blows my mind. They're in prison, they're actually in pain. And they find time to sing. At midnight, I am fast asleep. I don't think as a Christian or as a pastor, I've never got up at midnight and sung and prayed. That's my beauty sleep. I'll get up after 2 o'clock and I'll do that. And before 10 o'clock. But these men are not in a five-star hotel in the comfort of their home. They're in a prison. They, they, they're bleeding. They, they, they are in pain. They have wounds. They were beaten with rods. And yeah, they are rejoicing. They take the opportunity to testify to the character of God in the presence of these other prisoners. They continue being the salt and light that they're called to be. They continue to be a faithful witness for Jesus. But 
that they continue to have confidence in God as they continue to proclaim about this great God. Imagine this. Paul and Silas and his team, Timothy and I think Luke, weren't part of the, the beatings because they were Gentiles. But Paul and Silas, imagine if they went around telling everybody of this great God who's mighty to save. And as soon as suffering came, they ran. Why isn't this great God mighty to help us as well through our suffering? Why do we show that He is not mighty to help us? That He is small and pathetic? How can we tell people about this great God, but they don't see this great God in our lives when it comes to suffering? They see us probably hoping in the same things they do. That's why they don't believe in this great God. Paul and Silas have great confidence in their God. And the first thing they do, they cry to Him in prayer. Is that the first thing we do when suffering comes our way? When we pick up the phone and we get a bad phone call? Could be a loved one has died. You've lost a business deal. There's a tragedy somewhere in someone's life. Is that the first thing we do? Pray. Even pray for that person on the other side of the phone if we have an opportunity. Yeah, we see Paul and Silas praying. I can understand praying. But I, I really can't understand singing. But we'll look at singing now. They, they, they're praying. What they're praying for, I would assume, they're, they're praying for, for wisdom. Because James tells us we're going to, various trials are going to come our way and we must count it as joy because God is going to use those trials to, to mature us, to sanctify us, to grow us. I assume from Acts chapter 4 that they would also be praying in the same context. Um, and I, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and perform through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, this is, this is um, Peter and John, when they prayed, we know the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Or we know after praying, a great miracle happened, an earthquake came. But singing. They're, they're singing as well in their suffering. And their suffering is for righteousness. They've been persecuted for righteousness. Not for something they did wrong. They've been persecuted for righteousness. Paul knew what Jesus said. Jesus tells us, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. That we can take in principle for all kinds of suffering that come our way. Rejoice and be glad. Then I went back and I looked at where else did someone in the Old Testament pray and sing and have great deliverance? Well, Jehoshaphat. He prayed. And then they sang a song. 
And the army, the multitude of army that was out there, was defeated through singing. And you know what they sang? If I can find it. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is what we sing. Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. They probably would have sung a song, Psalm 142. Just reading around and looking at what some commentators were, were saying. Psalm 142 reads... Psalms are the most beautiful scriptures to go to when you are suffering. With my voice I cry to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. Verse 5. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. They probably were singing Psalm 142. But they were singing. Do you find, do I find myself singing through suffering? Prayer songs are a powerful weapon. And we see this. We see that they are delivered. An earthquake comes. And it shakes the foundations of the prison. They were shaken and immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. There's this great miracle. An earthquake comes and loosens their shackles. But don't just focus on the earthquake. Focus on God's sovereignty, God's providence. Just think, the foundations of this building shook. No walls fell on them. No roof fell on them. Through this earthquake, God knew what he was doing. He was in complete control of the circumstance. He opened up the prison doors and loosened the shackles. But today we would probably say, well, you know, this was all a coincidence. They were at the right time, at the right place, and Mother Nature was kind to them and allowed this earthquake to come, which got them out of prison. Is that how we talk? Is that how we would explain this to people? No, God's people don't talk coincidence theory. God's people see a supernatural God using both supernatural and the natural, which is the earthquake, for His purpose and glory, which was all under His sovereign control, someone said. You want to have confidence in God? Grow in the sovereignty of God. Get to know that God is sovereign over everything that comes our way. What confidence did Paul and Silas have in their God? Like I said last week, the Calvary Road is costly 
and painful, but not joyless. Here we see two men rejoicing in the Lord. We must learn to cultivate this joy in our heart. So that we can have confidence in God. And if we have confidence in God, this joy will be there. To help us rejoice in our sufferings. If we're in the scriptures, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. God is sovereignly working through all purposes. To work out things for His good and His purpose. But, excuse me, but also for His good and for our good and his pur- our purpose as well. But Peter also says this. He also gives us encouragement and he comforts us through the scriptures. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. God will. But will we put our confidence in God as we suffer and will we rejoice in him as we suffer this first essential and we'll stop here this first essential joy that we've looked at in Acts chapter 16 verses 25 to 26 that showed that Paul and Silas had confidence in God during suffering do we experience this joy do we are we also having confidence in God and experiencing a great joy If we we close with this passage from Hebrews. Verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That joy was in his exaltation. Knowing where he was going to. He wasn't walking with his cross and clapping, what a joyful day this is. I'm off to the cross, I go, no. The joy was in his exaltation. He knew where he was going, to be seated next to the right hand of his father. That is where we should get our joy. Our joy should be knowing that as we suffer, we are suffering for a better cause. And that is the new heavens and new earth. He had joy in his exaltation. We too can have joy in in our exaltation because we too are going to be exalted one day with our new glorified bodies. Will we one day stand before God and God will say to us, Well done, my faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. All because we have confidence in God which showed in our joy. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive me. We're not always rejoicing through our difficult times. Forgive us, Father. Be merciful to us, the sinner. But give us wisdom, Father, to stir up our hearts, to turn from our circumstance and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross, despising the shame, with joy, and is seated at the right hand of you, Father. Seated at the right hand of your throne. 
Give us wisdom, Father, to take our eyes off the earthly things and fix them on the heavenly things, Father. We are living and marching on towards a new heavens and new earth. We are just pilgrims passing through. Father, help us. Help us to rejoice, but in a sincere and genuine way. And when we don't, Father, help us to, to run to a Christian friend who can encourage us to rejoice in our sufferings, who can help us, who can pray for us. Father, we need your help, your grace, your mercy. But like I pray, forgive us, Father, for we do not find ourselves often rejoicing in our sufferings. Forgive us, Father. Help us now as we come to the Lord's table to reflect on what Christ Jesus accomplished for us, what he did for us, so that we can have confidence and joy in you. I pray in us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen.